welcome to the Friday Night Review, the show that always has something to say to you, the show that is there to touch your silliness, but also the serious part of your life, and to begin to get you to think sometimes about spiritual things, and to draw you into a closer friendship with your neighbours and your friends, and to challenge you to think, what's this Christianity all about? So tonight, once again, we've got our great panel with us. We welcome to James Cathcart, who is Hello. hanging on a line, I'm told. He's saying his, uh, his internet connection is not as good as it should be. But you're hoping you'll... No, but, but the spirit is willing, Albert. The spirit is willing. Great. And also we have with us tonight, again, our usual, uh, Ian Jimison, the doc, is with us tonight. Hello, broken with a sore up. thumb, but he'll tell you about the thumb in a minute. <laughs> and we also have with us Laura Dagan. Hello, everybody. Fresh from the probationers conference, I'm told. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> and our special guest tonight, Laura Vermeulen. Lovely to have you with us tonight, Laura. Yay. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Laura is a volunteer worker in the Christian community in Greece, and we're going to be hearing about the, some of the work that she's been doing there working amongst some of those people in difficult situations, in refugee camps, people looking to escape from the war zones and from the areas of persecution in the world and trying to find a new life for themselves. So people living with a new identity, discovering for themselves a new identity, people searching to find meaning. And we're going to be looking at this whole theme tonight because that's our theme tonight, which is the theme for the whole week, which is, who are you? And also integrated into that is the question to God himself, who are you? And God looking into our lives to help us begin to know who we really are. And uh, that will lead us into some interesting discussions because uh, Laura Dagan's been a writer this week and she's been writing about this whole idea of identity. And uh, some interesting passages of scripture have been opened up uh, this week. So. I think we're in for a really good conversation tonight. Thanks. Are you all up for it tonight, guys? Yes. Yeah. Well, listen, just to, to let you know where we're going to go tonight on this, I thought it would be good tonight to um, just say a, a word of welcome to uh, Laura, to just have a wee, you know, two or three minute conversation with Laura Vermeulen, just to make her feel, you know, part of the team tonight, you know. It's good, Laura, to get, get yourself started right away. And then I thought we could start maybe looking at some of the things you've been writing about Laura Dagan and how that relates to some of the stuff that uh, Laura Vermeulen is going to be talking to us about and sharing with us. So uh, let, let's take that as a kind of plan. So if you're listening in, we're going to go right into this whole area of people uh, on the move, people who are displaced, we're in a world where there just seems to be so many people moving and in search of a new identity, a new meaning because of persecution or because of war zones. So Laura, Laura Vermeulen, great to have you with us. Uh, we must first met many years ago, Laura, in fact, we worked together yes. and, uh, we, on the Church Without Walls. Do you remember that? I could never forget it, Albert. It's ingrained in my head. Yeah. <laughs> we had some good times, didn't we? Some we amazing did. stories about just working together and seeing God at work. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, we really enjoyed your great ability to keep us all under uh, 
on the right path because you're a tremendous administrator, a real gift God's given you in that area. Thank you. Yeah, so, it, was, it was difficult keeping you on the right path sometimes, but we got there. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a tonic to me, Laura, to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> well, you see, the secret is always surround yourself with people who are much better than you. It's not hard in my case. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, Ian, you stand on the shoulders of giants and people think you're big, but there's people much bigger than you lifting you up. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Laura, you know, you, you have made a, quite a big career change moving from, you know, a working in Edinburgh to become a volunteer working in, 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 in Greece. How did that come about? Well, it's really strange, Albert, because there was my plan and there was God's plan. Um, I reached a certain age, late 50s, when my children had all left home and I thought, I'm going to have a gap here. I'm going to give up my job and go away and just have a year to myself um, and then I'm going to come back to Edinburgh and find a job. That was the plan. And I've always wanted to do voluntary work. The plan was to go to Spain. Um, so I was learning Spanish and I was going to go to Spain for a year. Um, but I've always wanted to do voluntary work. And I thought I'd like to do a stint of voluntary work before I head off on my adventure and make sure that I have enough funds to do that at the beginning of my year rather than running out of money and not being able mm -hmm. to do it at the end. So um, via, via my church and, and different things that were going on there, um, I was going to go to Moldova with OM with a group from a church, but that I couldn't commit to that because it was very physically demanding and, and I knew that I couldn't do it. Mm. So mm. I went on the OM website and I thought, I'll see if there's something else I can do. And this um, project in Greece in the Ammonia Church came up and it was working with refugees. And there was a video from the founder, Eleni, and that just spoke to my heart. So I thought that's where I need to be. So I signed up for a month. I had already booked my one-way ticket to Spain um, to go in April to Spain. I signed up for a month in the January and uh, off I went. Well, I think within a few weeks, I just knew that I belonged there. I extended my month stay to two months stay, but because I'd already booked my trip to Spain, I came back home and went off to Spain but I only went for a three-week holiday and then I got myself organised and I headed back out to Greece um, under my own auspices in the June. So not with OM anymore, but to work in particular with the church in Ammonia. Um, so God just spoke to me. I, I, had this, I had this two lifestyles in my head. One was being an expat in Spain with a gin and tonic in my hand. <laughs> and one was... I can be useful in Greece. And, you know, Eleni swung it for me. She says, Laura, we've got gin and tonics as well. So, <laughs> you know, I can be useful and have a gin and tonic. So, yeah, I mean, that's, a, you know, I just, I just felt well, that God, God just led me to something that I just felt I was part of a community and I could help. I could make a difference. So. So, so listen, see when you say God spoke to you, we've been thinking about this before in this in in in, in our discussions in Sanctuary First uh, Weekly Review. How do you discern God speaking to you? You know, what is it? Is it an audible voice or no? No, we've we've had these discussions as well, and I'm glad you asked that. It's just a feeling for me. It's just a feeling. I just 
it was like when I saw the ammonia um, thing on the OM website, it, it was like it jumped out at me. It was the same when I became a Christian. It was like I suddenly heard the, mm. the message, you know, it was mm. like my eyes were open. So you know how you get that feeling, a sort mm. of, a, you know, domestic road feeling. Yeah. For me, it's like that. And, and it was the same. As soon as I went to ammonia, I just thought, this is where I'm meant to be. It, so it wasn't an audible voice. Right. So listen, Laura, would there be family? Are you dealing, meeting families and, and or individuals or what kind of age groups of people are coming into your orbit? I take it they're coming to your church. Do they come to your church or do you get invited to go and meet with people or how do you, how do you meet folks who are refugees? Yeah. So when I first went to um, the church at Ammonia, I, um, they had a big outreach programme so they were doing English lessons um, to help refugees learn English. They were doing, um, they had children's activities, they had creche and, and children's activities. And then we had fellowship meal because it's all about community, both in the Greek community and in the uh, refugee community. It's all about if you eat together, you're part of an online community. Mm. So we had two meal, two fellowship meals after classes um, we also had um, a clothing room where we'd give out clothes and we'd distribute food packages. So when I first went there, that was the setup. Um, so I would meet people in the English classes. Now, we had everybody there from newborn babies to older people, um, maybe in their, well, maybe in their 60s, 70s. Um, you know, so the whole spectrum, really, the whole, because they, they're traveling in families, so this whole family groups. Um, and after the, before the fellowship meal, we always have a devotion. Now, this is for people of um, mostly Muslim faith and no faith. Um, and they come and they listen to the word of God. They're so hungry for the word of God and they really enjoy it, but it's very low key you know, it's sharing a thought for the day. And then we have a meal together. So that was how I was involved. Um, you know, either teaching English, serving food, um, you know, cleaning up, giving clothes, that type of thing. And what kind of, what would they, what kind of life, do they ever tell you about the kind of lives that they've left behind in the countries that they've come from? You, you were saying that some of them come from Assyria, from mm -hmm. Syria, some from Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, um, they do. We don't pry into their lives. Uh, you know, we're, a lot of people are collectors of stories and they like to um, gather information about the refugees and for their own ends, which we don't really agree with. But we, we form relationships with the refugees and then in their own time, they will tell us their stories. And, and we've heard some miraculous stories and we've heard some heart-wrenching stories you know, we've heard of stories where one mother came and she had two boys. Two, one of them was about 10 with Down syndrome and one was younger. And when she was coming over on the boat, her daughter and her husband drowned and she oh was God. left with these two kids, you know. So you hear horrible stories like that. Um, and you hear amazing stories as well about how people in their own country dreamt about Jesus. They dreamt about Jesus in Syria or wherever they've come from. So, yeah, wow. you do get to hear these stories and they're very, 
encouraging and they're very heart-wrenching sometimes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Listen, folks, any questions you want to ask Laura that, you've, that has been stimulating your thoughts tonight as you've been listening to her story? I thought I'd just ask... Oh, sorry, there you go. No, I was going to say, Laura, I just wonder, um, I was having a chat with my barber this week, and he's a, he's a Muslim guy. Um, he's a Turkish barber, because I don't have any hair, really, to speak of. <laughs> uh, anyway, long story short, he was doing the usual number one over the top and the back and sides and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time I sit in his barber's chair, the shop seems to empty, the shop seems to go really quiet. And what we talk about is our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he talks about is his, you know, his interpretation uh, from the Quran of what's happening in the world. And I sort of share a bit of the Christian perspective from it. And we have quite a simpatico relationship between us about we kind of believe in the same God. Um, do you know, but Jesus is just for, for, for him that he's just one of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And the prophet Muhammad came after him and was the last of the prophets and what have you. Um <clears throat> but it's it's very refreshing I find to be to see the world through somebody of a completely di- who is very much within that faith, who's very much bound in that faith. It's it's so interesting, I feel, and so edifying to spend time. Did you get much of a chance to experience that and to hear other people's stories of faith from the eyes of a Muslim? Yes, absolutely. So many of them and many of our friends, you know, not everybody that comes to our church goes on to become a Christian, um, but that doesn't stop our continued relationship and, and love for them because that's what we're doing. We're showing our love. We're not. We're not just trying to convert people. You know, we're showing God's love, and that's absolutely my experience. They're very open to hearing about God because they believe in God, and they love the stories. They love the story of the prodigal son. They love the story about Abraham. You know, they they have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and a lot of respect for the Bible. Yeah. So yes, that I can I can echo that experience 100%. I've, James, just, I've James, never so, found that dichotomy, you know, that fourth hmm. thing that the media keep pulling up, you know, that it, almost as if we're two different communities. Exactly. It, it doesn't feel like that when you're no. with your brothers who believe in things in a different way, you know, it's something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's exactly what they've told us. The biggest lie we have is that we need to be scared of the Muslims and the biggest lie that they have is that they've got to be scared of the Christians. And when we meet, it's nothing like that. It's, it's, share, it's just wonderful because <laughs> you have got, we're talking about identity, but you have got a shared identity. It's different, you know, we're not, we're not saying the same thing, but we do believe and have a faith in God and that's a common ground and there's a mutual respect for that. That's been interesting. I know that Laura Dagan, you have close friends in the Muslim community. You have a Muslim yeah. ladies group you go to. Yes, uh-huh. Yes, and there's actually there's a there's a good number of Syrian ladies now uh-huh. um, part of the group because they had, you know, came over. Um and and as it's just when you were talking about the 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 fellowship meal, 
you know, that's like, we're always, <laughs> that's that we sit down and we eat together. And then after, we, we do we do our chat and after we've had our, had our meal, you know, because it's like, we're all happy. <laughs> we've got this understanding that, you know, that we won't, we, we'll ask questions respectfully and what we, te- we we won't argue with each other. You know, we're not there to convert each other, you mm-hmm. know, like you said. And uh, and just to have these really, you know, deep conversations because there's so much similarity. And this is mm. this is what I you know, whenever people are talking about, oh but that's it, you know, we need to be frightened, or oh, there's you know, so many coming over and oh they're you know, all the rest of it, you're like, we don't need to be frightened. <laughs> we don't at all. We're just humans, we're yeah. God's children mm. and we share so much, you know, together. And but oh yeah, the, the, I'm, I'm actually like now I'm thinking I really quite fancy one of the meals. Would this be a good time to break into some of your writings this week, Laura, and to talk about that? Uh, the, the one that first Im- immediately I thought we could have a discussion about it, all of us together because we know it is that discussion about the children of Israel fleeing from Egypt with an army pursuing them. You know, and, and, and Laura, Laura Vermeulen, you'll have known people who have been fleeing from Afghanistan or fleeing from Syria with an army at their back and, and worried about where they're going to go and what their future is. And then, Laura Dagen, you talk in your reading, in your reading about the children of Israel, this people, this, this you know, downtrodden people in slavery being led I can you say, you know, a kind of a ragbag of people really kind of dis- difficult, strange, it's all hard for them and they're confronted what they're going to do. And then you, you come up with this wonderful story that's in the Bible about how God protects them from behind and makes a way through the Red Sea for them. You know, and I wonder, the part of the question is, you know, um, that's a story that brings so much comfort to people. Uh, and I wonder, I was going to ask Seto Laura Verdmullen at some point if you can comment on this too, that, um, you know, while it must bring a lot of comfort, that, that knowing these stories but, and believing in a God like that must sustain you if you're going through a really difficult time. The, the, the thing I found about that story, Albert, to be honest, the most moving, uh, Laura, and thank you for that. I think I, I, maybe I commented, maybe I didn't. I'm sorry if I didn't. Um, but was the whole thing about certain weather patterns could have caused something that rare. And they were there in the right place at the right time for this to happen. And what you said was something along the lines of, just because you might be able to explain how a miracle happened doesn't make it any less a miracle or something. Worse. Yes, uh-huh. 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 Oh, that was beautiful. I thought that really was beautiful because it, it, it grounded God into that whole thing about the grand plan, about that God's plan for, for, for us. And you made it personal. You, you told that story of the person in that crowd. Yeah, I, I think I, I felt really strongly that I, I, that's that's where God wanted God wanted me to humanise that, mm. and I, and I, I sat for a long time, you know, and I really tried to put myself in that, um, you know, in that situation and how people would have felt, and 
I have to say, actually, I've I've been really moved by you know seeing pictures of people, you know, crossing over in these wee dinghies, and actually the 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 faith that it actually takes for people to do that, you know, mm. they, you know that that what's behind them is you know so bad, and you know just it's like right, you know, having that faith to to do that. And but whenever I was like looking at to, you know to personalise the story as well, and I was looking for the things in it that maybe we don't always see, you know, because we know the story so well, you know, this is it. We know the story so well, and uh, and what really stood out for me was the way that the clouds moved, you know, you know did that it went to the the, the cloud moved, the cloud was at the back. And then the light came, you know, and made the path. And a lot of these details we, we skim over, you know, we read fast and, you know, it's a... Uh, and then you think, no, this was intentional. This this was a miracle. So then that's how... It was, it was a real pleasure, actually, to write this week because there's so many of the... So many of the, the, the stories moved into each other, you know, and it was... It, it was, uh, I felt as if I, like my thinking was evolving, you know, just as, but I was moving and journeying at the same time, you know. Mm. Oh, mm. I, well, I felt that too. And that's why I thought, again, maybe a lot of them, and you might have something to say about mm. just that, having met people. Do, do you think when people are in that state of anxiety and worry, they, they, they have a sense, and if they've got faith, they're almost looking to God to draw them through it. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, they do. They do believe in God, and and they do pray to God, um, and I'm sure they do. I know um, one family where the um, husband said, "I'm going to go to on the dinghy, and then when I'm safe, you know, I'll make arrangements for you to come over in a safe way." And his wife, who um, they had at that time, they had three children. His wife said, if, if you going down with the dinghy and it's dangerous, I want us all to be together. I'm going with you. You know, she wasn't prepared to let him go on her own. And, and that takes, you know, a degree of faith as well. And I know that those people became Christians when they were in Turkey. Uh, so they, they did have faith in God, that God would get them through. And it I believe it was quite a, a horrendous journey that they encountered, but um, yeah. And and uh, there's there's not enough time to tell you about all the stories about what I've heard about people's journeys over the sea. Although it's a short stretch of sea, it's a very rough sea and it's very uh, unpredictable and it's at night as well. So mm. I think I think it would be fair to say that they they have a faith in God, whether it's um, through their faith in Islam or whether it's through Christianity. Um, you know, it's not some, I mean, whenever you're in trouble, you pray, don't you? It's yeah. a natural instinct. And seeing, see what we've been talking about is looking to see God at, at work in the world. And God is oblivious to some, whether someone's a Muslim or whether they're a Jew or whether they're a Christian. They're his children who he's, who he's redeemed and loves. Mm -hmm. you know? mm. And, uh, so from God's perspective, knowing who God is and knowing who we are, uh, 
we can, I suppose I'm, what I'm trying to use that story for us to start seeing what, what are the learning points from that? You know, if someone's listening in tonight who's going through a really hard time and saying, you know, can I trust God? You know, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? I think you can trust God, but I also think you have to listen to God because what the story also tells is the fact that thousands of guys who were simply paid up guys who happened to work for the Egyptian military uh, were swallowed up and killed in their thousands by the sea, um, which, you know, God allowed to wash over them. And I thought about that after reading that, after reading that message of hope. Um, and I think it's the same, you know, when you get in that dinghy and maybe things don't go as well as you wanted them to go. Um, because in life, often things don't go as well as we wanted them to go. They go kind of go south in the opposite direction. And there's that feeling about, you know, was did God abandon the Egyptians? Because they were his creatures too. Did God abandon... Does God abandon people who set out in faith and don't reach their end? I think that's a profound theological question. My my own take on it from the 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 story's point of view was well, it wasn't as if Pharaoh wasn't told. Exactly. It wasn't it, exactly. as if he wasn't told not once but nearly seven seven times he was told mm-hmm. message right. Bye going down this road something bad's going to happen right something really bad is going to happen people are going to get hurt you're going to get hurt all right do you understand that and he just and you know and as it said you know but it's a difficult one isn't it i mean but, I but love it's, that. But it's a difficult one it's very difficult it's it's but it's interesting i think these are the sometimes the post-its that you stick in the wall and you say god i'm not quite sure about that but you're god Back mm-hmm. to what we talked about last week, we we're talking about God says, you know, I'm God. I've got the full picture. You only, you only have a, you're only here in this world for a short time. You don't see mm-hmm. it all. But I think we, we might even come on to that in some of our readings later on today, this evening, as we talk about some of this. But uh, James, mm-hmm. James, you, you know, I was wondering to um, add in these if areas. I could come in here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully, you can. Hear me okay. No, I just wanted to say, um, I think there's something about trauma that's going on, you know, and finding a story mm-hmm. through trauma and to kind of explain the trauma that you've been through. And something I said to you before, Laura, about that first prayer that you wrote, the walking between the waves, mm-hmm. was that I was so struck by the immediacy of it and the fact that it immediately starts. You know, I think if I was writing that, I'd have been like, picture yourself at the scene or imagine you're da da da, whereas you're straight in. Moses had told us to be afraid and there's no you know, for this post suddenly coming up on Facebook or on the site for people, there's no context, there's no, and I thought that was a great stylistic move, you know, to really get us to meet the the drama uh, of what was happening. And it's so immersive, you know, the language and that, that section about the screams of mothers holding their children and smelling fear in the air, it's really visceral. And I think the way you did it helped to convey it. But there's something I think that's in terms of thinking about trauma, um, that's about sort of someone being able to look back through this thing that they've been through and this kind of past tense. And I was wondering then, Laura, uh, as opposed to Laura D, Laura V, um, about, I was wondering if I could ask you a wee question about your experience of teaching English um, when you were there, because I um, had a wee bit of experience teaching English um, 
uh, once or twice, but particularly once in a refugee project, but in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for people who'd recently come to Scotland. And one of the things that struck me about the experience was I'm sure that, you know, I got as much or more out of the experience than the people I was attempting to teach English. And I thought one of the things that struck me about that experience was that because of the language barrier and because of the sort of awkwardness or potential awkwardness of the situation, you're kind of really in the present moment. And, and I wonder about that sort of experience of, because again, we had similar policies and you're not probing, you're not here to find mm-hmm. out what they've been through. That's totally up to them and whatever. And part of the process of the English teaching was really just an example, a way of making community. Um, and so I wondered if you could say a wee bit more about how you felt, how found that experience of speaking to one another and kind of giving people, it's almost like a safe place, isn't it? You can mm-hmm. be in a present tense in this language. Like English doesn't necessarily have all those words yet for you. If you're a new speaker of English, it could be a place that's kind of a safer place, um, perhaps. So I was wondering how you, how you found that experience of teaching yeah. English. Well, when I first went to Ammonia, I was um, thrown at the deep end, but we did have a, a curriculum of sorts that was made actually for um, the Arabic community so it was mostly uh, sensitive information. It wasn't too um, Americanized or, or European. You know, it was it, the topics that we covered were, were general ones and they weren't too sensitive. The fact that I'm an older woman worked in my favor as well because they respect older women. If I'd been a younger girl, it might have been tricky teaching men, you know, and women together. Right. But yeah. they have a lot of respect for older women. So my age worked in my favor. Um, and then some of them couldn't speak any English. And that's a real challenge. And you've just got to bring out the slapstick then. You've just got to mime everything, act everything and be over the top. But when you do that, when you make a fool of yourself, <laughs> um, it really draws it you know, it does draw you together as a community. It's They're brilliant, isn't laugh. it? You ham yeah. it up and you yeah. go, oh, what is she doing now? You know, <laughs> and, and there's, What's Laura there's, up to? <laughs> there's always a bright spark in the class that can do a bit of translation. And, and when I went to Moni originally, we had uh, a young guy who did a lot of translation for us. So things got a bit sticky. We got him in to help, uh, but he, he's moved on now. But so I, I found the experience really rewarding um, and um, it's a great way to bond. And in fact, that's one of the things I was talking about with the management committee today. Because of COVID, we've had to close down the English and we've tried to do it online with really no success. Um, so we're trying to think about how we can restart that in perhaps very small groups, the face-to-face, because they miss it. They keep, they keep contacting us. When are the English classes coming mm. back? When can we go back mm. to Ammonia? Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. Talking about trauma, because what I thought was we've had this discussion, then I thought we would start looking at the various, some of the days. And uh, the, one I, oh, oh, you, you, the one about trembling, uh, I, I thought that, that was an interesting story uh, you had to give there on a boat. I might, and I thought there might be some of the, 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 the panel tonight might have some of their own stories to tell of the bits of trauma and trembling where they where they were trembling. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am not boy. I've got one or two I could tell you in my life. But I'm not going to. Uh, if, if you're really stuck, I'll bring them out. But uh, but uh, this idea that must have been quite a, a scary experience on a boat. It's that 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 
is in high seas and it's oh it, yeah <laughs> i and that's how you know it's like i could Whenever I see, and also see when I see those wee dinghies out full of people, you know, in, in the sea, you know, and, and they're totally packed with people, you know, you can, I, I, I feel I can, you know, actually have a sense of what they must be feeling on there. Because that, that trip that I was on, like, it was beautiful the first day. And but that was that. We were and we were all novices apart from the captain, you know. <laughs> Not even knew what we were doing. <laughs> and we're just, you know, I'm thinking I'm like some kind of film star, you know. <laughs> well this is brilliant, you know, like enjoying the sunshine. And then the further we got, you know, out and then and then then it then it was so beautiful and calm. But then it started to change and you're like, oh no. And then the night it got really during that night it was really, really rough and but the next day and I thought I really did think that that was it, you know. I thought, this is it for me and I'm like, but God, I need to get back home with my boy. <laughs> I've got so much still to do. <laughs> but and and honestly I prayed I, I I I didn't stop praying the whole time and when I got off I was I was just, because it was only through God that I did get back. I feel that is the only way we got back. Mm. And because it was, oh, it was, oh, the sea, you know, and the water's coming in. You know, I called it a yacht, but it wasn't really a yacht, you know, no, like, it's just not a <laughs> You know, when you go down the stairs and it's quite, you know, tight, it was, it was it was, I. it was, uh, but all the water's coming in and you're pressed in and you're like, and the water's coming, you're bouncing about and it, oh, oh no. <laughs> it was, it was, that was, that was another miracle. <laughs> but it was, come up and it was just, I was, I was trembling, not with fear, but it was trembling with, oh, thank you God that actually you managed to get us out of that. And I did have one other experience where I had that same feeling. It was I was another travel one. I was flying and it was a flight coming up from London to Glasgow. And oh, that was I, I was clinging to the stranger that was next to me, you know, and we were up and oh I was and again <laughs> I actually got off and I kissed the ground when I put off that flight. <laughs> <And> that was <laughs> oh. I think we've all been on we've been on flights like that. I'll tell you one of them sometime. But anybody else got a story I've, of trembling? I've got a real doozy. Um and and a couple it's really a couple of stories in one. Um one is my unfortunate addiction to adrenaline is the first one. When I started off medicine and I started becoming a bit more senior in medicine, um, I would do a lot of the roadside medicine stuff. Um, and there's nothing quite like being up to your knees in petrol with the ever-expanding noise of a hot engine and extracting somebody from that situation and getting away with it time after time after time to get that sheer buzz, that sheer... I was nearly dead there, but look, I'm not I'm alive! Yes! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is that really addictive? And Joanne was like, Ian, you don't need to be on call 24-7. You actually need to take some time off. Because it became really like a drug. You know, you can kind of understand. Mm. Some people see these things as a drug. I could go into it in more depth, and a lot of the guys I know who have you know, being in service and various other services and understand that. And it's that whole thing like afterwards you're like, right, I'm actually really here. That's 
that's amazing. I walked away from that. But I think I think the the other thing um, that happened to me was 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 really nuts. And I'm not going to name names or places, but I used to be the senior medical officer at um, a maximum secure prison in the United Kingdom. And um, in this maximum secure prison, um, they they were actually really quite well organised. But one of the patients in the healthcare area decided to smash the light fitting, make themselves a blade, threaten to cut their, their throat whilst at the same time having, for some, I don't know how they managed to do it, rigged up um, some rope from their tracky bottoms as a noose to hang round their neck. And they were standing in their bed ready to jump, slit their wrists and hang themselves. And the very junior officers that were down there at the time, although they called for what we called the Mufti mob, that's the guys with the, the masks and the, the batons and all that kind mm. of stuff, they'd been called for as because, you know, we had to save this guy. Uh, but the, some bright spark said, Doc, go and talk him down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, in my shirt, you know, like, I need bother. I'll do this. <laughs> oh, my dog. So, go to this thing with this. Thing. I'm, you know, I'm to the teeth, and I'm like, listen, man, just get down. One will share a cigarette. It'll all be cool. And and we're sitting there, and we're talking about problems and all the rest of it. And at some point during this conversation, I'm like, hang on, this isn't a movie set, right? There isn't a director out there going to get cut at any point soon. This is probably not a situation you want to be in. And of course, the guys, that the actual guys who deal with this stuff all the time, they arrive and they're like, what on earth is the doc doing? He's putting his all at risk. What's he trying? What's he thinking of? And I'm like, guys, I've got this. I've got it. It's all good. It's all cool. And, and actually, everything was fine. And it all calmed down and all was good. Bye. And I got home and that was fine. And it was, But it was only afterwards that I thought to myself, Man, that was a kind of scary situation to find yourself in. Um, but I, at no point during any of the situations I've described did I feel that I was really out of control, right? I didn't feel that... I, I kind of felt God had my back, but at the same time I had this kind of realistic sense of, um, you know, the training that I'd been given and the things that I could do and all that. Do, do you know what I mean? I kind of knew... Mm how to keep myself safe and how not to put others at risk. So I always felt the sense of control. The only time I've been really, really frightened has been when I felt out of control, like genuinely out of control. Um, and I remember capsizing our, our racing dinghy when I was sailing. Um, and my dad, great, phenomenal uh, racer in boats, by the way, but can he swim? So I'm worried for him. And I'm kind of worried for me because this thing just did not right itself. And the weather was horrific. And the seas were, you know, blasting away. It, it kind of came to mind. I, I'd forgotten all about this till I read your story. Thanks a lot, by the way, for that one, Laura. Um, and, and I just, I was underneath the sail. I was caught underneath the sail. And I thought, I don't believe this is how I go out. And I was just a young boy at the time, I must have been about 18 years old. And that was actually my thought was, I don't believe this is how I check out. I can't believe this. This just doesn't fair. <laughs> That's is that, it's been, it's the, I think when you're in, you realise that when in the elements, actually, there's time, you just, there is, you don't have any control. You know, in these situations, it's like, well, 
no. Uh, it is like miracles that that kind of are we spark some miracles that get you thinking right I know what to do you know it's say uh, we could do this and that but when it comes to the elements that's it we, we really are at the mercy of God well we, we, yeah. we are we've got no control over it. there's that wonderful bit in the film Forrest Gump where uh, Jack his partner in the boat is you know cursing God for all his misfortunes he's been like Job uh, in a sense he's the Job figure in the film um, and he curses God and he wrestles with God and Forrest Gump says and just then God showed up and there's this massive storm and Jack's at the top of the boat and the boat's swaying back and forth and he's just giving it all that he's got he's really in a sense wrestling with God you know mm-hmm. um, And but at the end he has this complete peace this absolute deep peace in his heart that he was right with God it's mm-hmm. a brilliant bit, actually. It's one of these things that should be clipped up and used for Sanctuary First. It's just a great bit. Unfortunately, we can't use these things. We'd love to <laughs> used to do them in the past, but we can't do that anymore. But see, the, the, just to summarise that bit, the, the bit was tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns a rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. I think what I was drawing from all of that was that we need to, sometimes we have, we, we have such a, as Christian people, we can have such a pally idea of God, that, you know, God's my pal and my friend, yes, but, you know, God is, all, not in, in the, I don't want to use it in the colloquialism of Americanism, but God is truly awesome, Aye. you know, and, and we need to be aware of, we tremble in his presence, and if we, that's what takes us to the place of worship and adoration. Mm-hmm. When, and I think that's what's been drawn out of all these things. What you were trying to draw out of your story too was something about once you to really know you've been delivered. What, yes. what, and, and it's when people's lives have been delivered, when, when all of a sudden they've discovered God has given them a new heart, a new understanding, and they've been truly had a conversion experience, you might say, turned around. They can't help but say, only God could have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, quite, quite, quite literally, Albert. I, I have a, as, as you all know, I have this prevailing interest in what they call near-death experience, um, and these are people who have had heart attacks. Their heart has actually stopped, and they have been clinically dead, and we get them back. Um, you know, in in averted commas from from near we call it near death because clearly they weren't dead or they wouldn't come back um but you know we've managed to restart their heart and you know put them in a ventilator and get them off their ventilator and all the rest of it and those people who have had that experience all describe all of them regardless of upbringing or religion they all describe very similar type of experiences um it's really quite interesting um but i think when we talk about change though these people who describe these things they are never ever the same again mm. they love people you know they they, they they are all about love they're mm. all about um you know loving your neighbor doing things enjoying the earth while do you know what i mean people who are like heavy drinkers or drug takers or whatever they'll often that's it they just stop and they move on to a new chapter in their life. And I think sometimes God brings us to a place where 
you know, he lets us see ourselves clearly um, or something happens to us or we get into a situation or whatever and God speak to us, speaks to us through that and suddenly we kind of like really meet God. And that was what I got out of that story. Like you really, you know, this woman really met God, right? She met God big time. <laughs> and I don't think your life can ever be the same then, can it? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a sense of which, Laura Vermillion, you've been talking about, you've had a life-changing experience mm. in, in this whole area. It's like an adventure with God. As we've been talking about refugees, but from the other end, you've been talking to me about just how in some ways there's been a life-changing experience for you in doing all of this. You've been on a journey too. Absolutely, yeah, I really have. And um, I have to tell you how faithful God's been to me because I'd, once I decided that that was where I needed to be, I did step out in faith and I stepped out without proper resources behind me. Um, and God has met my every need thus far um, in, in some quite miraculous ways. You know, um, the, way, the way that things have turned around for me, the way that I got an amazing apartment, the way that I got a good flatmate, I, it was just everything just flowed together. So yeah, I just feel really confirmation that, you know how you were saying earlier, how do you know God called you? And I'm saying it's a feeling and that's a bit nebulous, but I just feel that God has proved that I am following his steps because he's made my path clear and he's cleared the way for me to do this. The fact that I can live out there without having to work, um, you know, um, is, is testament to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm working out there, but not for a salary. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so so the, the, this whole idea of God uh, journeying with us, this whole idea of um, of God, you know, doing miraculous things, leads us into to the story of Joseph, which was an interesting one, uh, which mm. came in which I thought also had a wee touch of him. Joseph had been through a really hard time. He was sold into slavery. He was sold, he was, he was betrayed in every way. And I'm quite sure there's many people today who are in that kind of situation who, are, who have been lost everything. And yet the long, and this is the point I was talking about for, for Ian, talking about seeing the big picture. Joseph in this passage is able to see the big picture, but it's only after he's gone through his life that mm -hmm. he looks back and instead of the taking revenge on his brothers, he, he realizes that's not the way to do it. But, you know, he forgives no, them. He needed that, that life before that to be that guy. Do you know what I mean? He, he does. Life. Uh -huh. you, you, God doesn't he it's that whole thing you say Lauren you're, you, you're writing this week you know that whole thing uh, you know the right place the right time the right people uh, around you that that's what that that's how kind of God God works um, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't feeling very I'm gonna sh this is my broken thumb right I'm just showing you my broken thumb um, so today I had a Joseph this this month I had a, a Joseph moment right uh, my own jo my own mini Joseph moment, very, very minuscule Joseph moment. Um, and Robbie, my eldest son, a great guy, Robbie, uh, but Robbie tends to have, have a bit of a temper when things don't, you know, 
things don't go his way. And I'm the same. He gets it from me, right? So he's trying to slam the conservatory door shut. Right, so he gets one side in and after about 20 slams, he manages to get it shut and locked and that's great. So he goes to the other conservatory door, which he slams shut with just as much vigour. The only problem being my thumb was in the hinge. Oh no! <laughs> it an oh. And in that second, the words I used were not repeatable in this podcast and certainly weren't as forgiving as Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> Went right out the window. I mean, I have to say, because it wasn't his fault, and he felt terrible, and and it wasn't his fault. And I, and I did speak to him about it afterwards. I said, "Look, man, that wasn't your fault, and um, I shouldn't have had my thumb in the door. I don't know why that was." Um, but so that that was my uh, my Joseph moment. Yeah. So I didn't use up NHS resources, by the way. I manfully examined my own finger. I used my own clinical judgment. Gave it a good clean. Joanne gave it a good clean. Um, and it was I was really, really, really sore. Like couldn't sleep sore. And I decided that I, what I'd have to do is I'd actually have to burst the big blood blister underneath the nail that was taking the nail off. So what you do with that is you get a pair of pliers from the garage, right? Oh, you know! <laughs> and you put the paper clip hanging down open from the pair of pliers, right? You heat the paper clip end up. Make sure it's all nice and clean first, by the way. You heat the paper clip end up till it's red hot and then you poke it through your nail. Oh, no. Oh, no, <laughs> man. And the pain relief is just actually unbelievable, and it's been absolutely brilliant today. You I'm can set up a sideline. I'm just telling Can we get back? This is a silly. Not this is serious silliness. But can we get back to this whole idea of understanding the difficult things in our lives from a new perspective? And often it takes time. We can't. Um, when we're living through something, Joseph, no doubt, when he was younger, was ready to have his revenge on his brothers. And it, the story of Joseph, as we all probably know it, many people know it, but it is quite a traumatic story. Uh, see, Someone tomorrow's, tomorrow's um, reflection, Albert, I think will challenge people because that's about forgiveness, but it's more about immediate and how hard it is to forgive in the immediate. Um, and mm. I think it might be challenging for some people um, but I think it will resonate with people as well because it is where I think in, I was trying subtly in the, um, the one about Joseph because I kept bringing back in this we, you know, but they're my father's sons they're my father's sons but you know so not just not just his, his biological father's sons but you know, his father God's sons, but it's only been able to, you know, and he's had that, he had that love, you know, you know, he was his, his father's favourite, you know, and, and he he had he, he had a good life before, you know, he was sold and um and I was I was thinking as well during that during the writing of it, how easy, you know, how how some people some people can weather the storms you know some people can and they can get to the other side and they can have a good life and they can look back and see oh well it all worked out for the best where mm. other people 
actually they, they can't weather the storm. You know, they can't get past that. Um, but I think it was that that love, you know, that Joseph had at the very start of his life that helped probably shape and sustain him. And that was why I kept bringing back that, you know, the motifa, well, it, they were my father's sons. Mm. Mm. Something that struck... Sorry. Can, can I just say something that really struck me on that prayer, um, Linda, on that day, uh, Laura, sorry, is that the four-line prayer at the end of it um, where you wrote, forgive me for in, my inability to let go of past hurts, the kindness I could not do, the words of understanding I could not speak, and the offers of forgiveness I could not make. And it just ends there. And again, in terms of like as a stylistic decision, you know, like with the other one where it just starts to do a prayer like that, which stays in that moment. Because I think sometimes with our prayers, particularly our corporate prayers, it's very easy to want to move past that and be like, but we'll be better and we'll do better and we'll make amends. But actually, there are some things which are gone now and they're lost and we can't just fix. And, and so much of the hurt that we cause isn't easily remedied. Um, and so I thought that was a really lovely way of doing it um, to, um, to not rush past that. And as you say, Albert, like it takes time. These things take time. Um, and I think sometimes in our, certainly in our corporate worship, we could be too quick to lead to the next point. So I thought that was a really lovely decision. I, I think, like, can I ask Laura Vermeulen about, um, do you come across people who feel really angry at all that's happened, they've lost their life, they never intended, I mean, they never intended to be refugees, they didn't intend this, their life was stolen from them. Do you find do people carry resentment and anger about it all? Um, we certainly come across a lot of people with trauma, but it manifests itself in different ways. You know, I don't know if they, they've verbalised it exactly in that way, but you certainly, I mean, a lot of people have still got family back home in those war zones. So there's a big worry there. And some of them have family in other parts of Europe, but they're separated from them. We have families in our community where the children are maybe in Holland or Germany, but the parents are stuck in Greece. So there's all that sort of trauma going on. And um, I don't know if they feel angry um, at the situation. It's, it's difficult to know, mm. but they definitely, um, they, they're quite reserved at, verbalizing that certainly my experience you know they might show it in different ways by outbursts or something but i've never heard anybody verbalize it in that way right I, I Ian, what were you going to say i, I was going to say it's, it there was really two things that actually also coming back to laura vermulin about what she was just saying there is this kind of psychological thing that happens though um it's easy for us to become angry on somebody else's behalf when they themselves are not angry Mm -hmm. because it's easy for us to see something things that they don't and it's easy yeah. for us to um you know imagine ourselves in that situation and to how we would feel but of course we're not in that situation and we don't actually know how we would feel so perhaps we're better reserving judgment and perhaps we're better reserving our anger for simply looking at the facts and that's the other thing about you know what we're talking about trauma um, trauma with a big T, trauma with a small T, everybody has it um, and it affects us all in different ways for sure, for sure it does. 
um, and it needs to be dealt with, I think. I think it's a really important thing. I don't think we, we do enough work on this in the NHS. I really don't. It's a massive failing of the NHS um, and it would save untold amounts of money were we to address it now rather than later. And we're also seeing the, the kind of a COVID type trauma, but how we look at things also depends on our psychological outlook in things you know that's why pe you know the same personal there's that story of the man you know that uh, you know he's he's wandering down the path and he meets the the, the beggar in the road uh, and he says tell me good fella he says uh, the people in that town absolutely fantastic lovely people the nicest people in the world he said uh, it was absolutely brilliant he said what are the people like in the next town and the beggar says oh do you know what they're exactly the same you're going to have a great time there. So off the traveller goes. And the next guy comes up and he says, I oh, see that, that's awful. Uh, every day was a nightmare. These people are just scummy and horrible and venal. He said, what are people like in the next town along? And the beggar said, I think you'll find them exactly the same there. Mm. You see, a lot, of, a, a lot of it depends on, our, on, on how we look at the world. And Joseph, going back to Joseph for a minute, you know, he was saying they're my father's sons. You know, there's love in that. There's love in that on a number of levels. On a meta level, they're God's sons, but also on a personal level, they're mm. my father's sons. I have kinship with them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that these are, these are things. But I, I, the other thing is sometimes it's just not your time to, to heal. Sometimes it's just not your time to say the things that you need to say. But I think we have to believe as Christians that time will come. Yeah. That that time yeah. Will come. That's yeah, an interesting absolutely. point to make, Ian. Laura, the last bit, we're coming up now. I mean, I think we've done pretty well tonight to tie all this in. I think I'm really quite pleased that it's all gone. But Laura Dagan, you, you, you ended up with this reading in Romans. Don't judge. Oh, Lincoln. Oh, yes. It oh. all links in, doesn't it? Don't judge, lest you be Aye. judged. Mm -hmm. Think the very best of people and link it through, but you know, but also be an example. Don't become a, you know, because that that reading is also about you know, isn't it? Don't don't do anything that's going to cause somebody to stumble. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing to do, though. That 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 is the hardest thing. It's very easy to. Uh, I was joking with a guy. Uh, I was going for a dental appointment this week. I've had a bad week this week. Um, I was going for a dental appointment. This <laughs> Fall week. into bits. Fall into bits. <laughs> and and he, we were talking away, and he he said that he said, "When did you last get your teeth checked?" I said, "I don't know, two thousand and But that's terrible. You're a doctor. You should be leading an example for people. And I'm like, "Listen, man, do as I say, not as I do." <laughs> and but. I have I'd actually thought about that and I thought, you know, there's a lot of things when I examine like my own life um, that I would change, that I would, that I would take back if I could, but I can't, you know, I can't, can't take back anything that happened a couple of seconds ago. All I can do is resolve to try and make things a bit better in the future um, and to, I, I, I think I also think that, you know, we, we need to reflect on our behaviour and sometimes explain. Uh, why we say and do the things that things that we do and say because you see I read that other thing by you Laura um, and your comments that story that you told uh, which I, I really found it's funny because I, I really empathize with your point of view and, and how sometimes careless words can really 
really really do something to us at a fundamental level because it because these words have meaning for us but we need to remember these words have meaning for us but they may not have meaning for the other person saying the words they may have not they might not know actually what the heart they've caused the no, damage that they've no, caused no. No, they may, they may have absolutely no idea. This is you're referring to Laura's reading today, Laura's yeah. comments today, yes. which is worth looking at. Again, folks, if you're wanting to watch all this, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you can go back into the Sanctuary First website and go to the Daily Worship and look out for the themes, Who Are You Under That Week, under this week, starting 13th of September. And you can go back and read some of these readings that we've been discussing this evening. I should have said that at the beginning. It would have helped maybe folks further as they go along. But the, that's retrospect is better than better late than never. Yeah. But this is the thing, though. We can say things, though, you know, as leaders are in conversation that, that people take to mean things. I, I remember once a couple of years ago in the surgery, somebody phoned up with some complaint. This is you know, back when surgeries were, uh, you know, having so many patients churning through them every, every day. Uh, they, we still do, by the way, just in, in a different way than we did before. Um, anyway, this patient phoned up and it was just this really bizarre problem. It was there's one of these odd problems that doctors get from time to time, like itchy teeth, right? What? <laughs> I don't um, and so I'm asking lots of questions about it. And I'm thinking, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. And then I thought to myself, and that's what I said was in a nice way, at least I thought it was a nice way. I said, so what was it you were thinking I might do about it? What, what would you like me to do about it? Right. And, and I didn't think anything of it and put down the phone, got on with the rest of my morning. And this person suddenly disappeared off my list of people to see that day. Because I said, well, you better come down because I'm not making any sense of this. I better see you face to face and sort this out. Um, and anyway, I was the only doctor in the building and this woman was shouting at the staff because she wouldn't see that nasty doctor she spoke to in the phone, right? <laughs> and and, and the, the receptionist said, well, he's the only doctor in the building, hen, so either you want to get back and phone again tomorrow or you get seen today, your choice, what do you want to do? And this woman said, well, my itchy teeth are really bothering It wasn't the itchy teeth, by the way, but let's call it. <laughs> they're really bothering me. So I need to see the doctor today. So she marches and she sits down. And I'm really nice to her. And we actually get on really well. Um, and I sort out the itchy teeth and we kind of get to the bottom of what was really the problem. And uh, at the end of the consultation, I said, look, I said, tell me something. I said, I, I think I've offended you, said, and I just don't know what I've done. And she said, well, when when you answered my phone call, you said, what do you expect me to do about it? <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I said, what I said was. <laughs> but it was just, but that was the way the person picked me up. Oh, Why? God. Do you, know, do you know what? I really hope they're not watching tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's, it, it is really powerful, you know, you know, I think, what, uh, well, how we judge people, you know, because we're making judgments all the time. You know, the problem was the woman spoke to me about it. She phoned me up. She says, <laughs> it wasn't my teeth, it was my feet. It thought it was itchy teeth, but I was saying itchy feet. Oh, dear. <laughs> 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 Albert's lost it. Albert's she, lost it. She had itchy feet. 
Oh dear. <laughs> I was going to make a serious point there. Use of dissent. That's not a Once again, tell her just don't report us to the GMC. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, take us home, Laura. Take us home. What are you saying? <laughs> take us back. Take us back, take Laura, back to the sensible place. Take us home. I, I was. T- I was saying about you know judge the judgments we make you know that they they do affect people's lives and like mm. you know like <clears throat> refugees coming over like especially you know coming into your country your other countries in europe these are people who have got you know they've, they've they've got a history they've got an identity you know they're not just all oh, these refugees that have came to your country you know they're humans that have got pasts and qualifications and have got all this experience that they could, you know, they could be sharing with us, you know, and and making our country, you know, a better place for everybody that's living here. But we dismiss people, you know, we dismiss people and it's, um, you know, we, we do it with, not just refugees, we do it with like loads of different kinds of people, you know. And so that's, I think, actually judgment's a big thing I feel strongly about. <laughs> I feel so strongly about it because we do, we write people off mm. without giving them a chance at all. Um, and I think actually a lot of our problems in the world would, um, would, we wouldn't have them if we actually stopped, you know, making judgments about each other. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> well, listen, this has been a great uh, time together. Huge thank you to you, Laura Vermeulen, for being with us tonight and thank for you. sharing with us your story and your willingness to go and to give people an opportunity for another chance in life to spend your days helping them to learn English and to, to be that that bridge into a new place for them and uh, you know keep in touch with us Laura about your work and uh, you know because I think uh, some of our listeners in Sanctuary First would want to hear more about what you're doing if people want to do know more about what you were doing Laura how would they find out um we um they could contact me through the Ammonia Church website which is ammonia.com we have a, a link there and the project that I've been working with is called the Agape Project. So if you do a Google on Ammonia Church, you'll find our website and you can contact us through the contact pages there. Good. Yeah. Well, listen, a huge thank you to you for giving up your evening to, to join this merry bunch here. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> it's been nice to work with you again, Albert. It's, yeah, it's been too good, long. Uh, yeah. It's been good to have you with us. And uh, thank you to you, Ian, for being with us tonight. And thank Joe for allowing you some free time because I know this is a, a day off for you today. So anyway, thank you. And thank you to you, Laura, for your contributions this week. Um, they've been really excellent and encouraging. And James, good. Look, you managed to stay on. The, the line I know. I know. I've not been kicked <laughs> off, so I'm, I'm chuffed. Yeah. I'm chuffed. So look, guys, thank you so much. I ask you, if you've been looking in, uh, feel free to join us on Sunday uh, for our service at 3 p.m. Uh, the theme this week is, again, uh, Laura, what's the theme this week? Can you, can oh, you um, bringing it all to God. Yes. Bringing all, it all in caps. 
A-L-L. All the things that's worrying you, everything, bring it, bring it all, bring your heavy burdens to the Lord. And so that'll be an interesting one to explore through in Sunday. And then you can join us for coffee afterwards in the service. And then the the next week, uh, who's our writer next week, James? George Snedden. George Snedden, yeah, George uh, is well, the kind of George student, Snedden. student in yeah. training for ministry. And George is going to be our writer next week. And uh, then you can join us on Thursday for the coffee shop, if you're interested, Thursday evening at 9 to 10. And uh, or back again for the... Friday Night Review next week, and I'm hoping that we'll be joined by Sandy Smith, who's going to be starting, uh, leading a new a book club Ooh. on the life and the work of C.S. Lewis, and we're going to be doing a five-week uh, book club on <clears throat> one of C.S. Lewis's seminal books, Surprised by Joy. So that's going to be really good. Look out for the blogs and that, and the advertising for that, that particular book club it's coming up it starts at the beginning of october so listen that's all the plugs for today <laughs> thank you for a lovely evening with you all and have a wonderful weekend because it's going to be great the sun's shining it's great and i've had most of my apples taken off the apple tree and they're all down to the brewery so this is <laughs> going to be cider coming our way in the next two or three weeks so, until next friday night back with friday night review God bless. Have a great weekend. Bye. 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 <clears throat>